0: So that's definitely a reason to praise Him, and He's making things new and bringing freedom. So those are uh, great reasons to gather together. We thank you so much for gathering with us today and uh, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a first-time guest with us today, I just want to invite you to take your worship program, pop it open. There's some information about our church in there. There's also a little card that we slide in there. If you would fill that out and uh, take it. You can either drop it in the, worship or in the uh, boxes where we do our worship through finances and uh, do the offerings and stuff. If you don't want to talk to anybody, but if you wouldn't mind taking out to the first-time guest kiosk, we want to give you a gift and uh, we also would like to make a donation to a ministry that also connects people to Jesus for life change, called Women at Risk International. And if you fill that card out and turn that in, we make a donation to them uh, because of that as well. And so if you do that, that would be great. Before we jump into the message this morning, I just want to take a moment and uh, make a special announcement. That's really applicable to those of us who are uh, members of this church, regular tenders of this church, uh, a regular part of what's going on here at Southbridge. We've had um, an exciting, almost seven years now. By the way, in March it'll be seven years um, since we launched the church as a whole. We've had some seasons of uh, rapid growth, numerical growth, and we. We've also had some times at Plateau uh, once we maxed the theater out. And for those of you who don't know, we own a piece of property over on Glenwood Avenue, um, just about three miles from the front door of this church and where we're meeting this morning, the theater. And uh, we have done two capital campaigns as a church. We did one, um, ended up purchasing the land, and then did a second one that we're actually in about a year into, right now a little bit more than a year into. And y'all have given generously, um, very generously. And so I don't want you to miss that. And what I'm about to say, um, I believe that you've sacrificed. I believe that uh, for the majority of you, at least, um, you've given to the point uh, that you're able to give. And uh, we're still short on money. And so I've made that announcement before. Uh, One of the reasons why uh, we haven't broken ground on that property and it's been a little bit over a year is because we haven't had the finances to do so. And so that's kind of a simple announcement. And I understand that what it can seem like is that nothing else is happening. That we kind of, we did the campaign and then we're just kind of, nothing's happening. Um, Let me assure you. Things are happening and have been happening. Um, I I meet with a group of guys, the elders, and what we call a leadership team. It's about 11 men. We meet at least once a month. And I haven't gone through the minutes of every meeting, but I'm really confident that at every meeting we've talked about something that's had to do with this project, Uh, whether it's financial aspect. A lot of times it's those kinds of things. Sometimes it's stuff that's going on with the soil and and stuff along those lines. But there hasn't been a lot to announce. But I want to say this. Over the last couple months, there's been some exciting things that have happened. And then about the next month, um, there's probably going to be some things to announce. And as that information becomes available, then I will make that announcement. Um, But there's going to be some things that we're going to do to try and gain some clarity and some of these uh, exciting things. And as that's happening, we want you praying. And so I I don't want you to feel like, hey, well, we haven't heard anything about it. So it just kind of drops off your radar or out of your prayer journal or however it is that you pray. Um, So would you be praying for us? Pray that God gives us great clarity and that he guides us. We talked about last week, he can say no. Sometimes he guides through no's. Maybe he's doing some of that. Um, He can open doors and show us stuff along those lines as well. And so um, we're just asking for God to bring guidance and clarity. So would you pray for that? I mean, if you're just a first-time guest, I'm not asking you to do that. But if you're, you know, this is your church, maybe you're given to this or you're serving in some capacity here, if you would uh, pray for those things, that'd be great. And I want to do something this morning that um, we don't r- r- usually do, at least, um, and ask a couple of you to pray. And I haven't asked you ahead of time to pray, so spontaneously I'm going to ask you to come up here and pray. I've got a microphone up here, and uh, if you just pray for us, pray for guidance and pray for clarity. Here's the deal. Don't feel any pressure about praying you're in front of everybody. It's not about, like, the words you're saying. And uh, also, uh, if you're just here, like today, I'm not asking you as a guest to come up here and pray. I'm not asking you, you know, if you're a spectator, we know we got spectators at our church, people that just show up and they watch what's going on, they listen to the songs, and they leave. Um, but if this is your church... I'm just wanting to pray for us. So if a couple of you, just two or three of you, would come up here, I'm going to give you the microphone, and uh, if you'd lead us in prayer, just if the Lord's um, directing you in that way, then that would be wonderful. So a couple of you come up here, and I will stand here awkwardly until you do. Uh, if a couple of you just come on up and, and pray for us, that'd be great. I see Vern coming up, if at least one other person would come up, and uh, Vern, after you, and someone else pray, then I'll, I'll uh, get into the message for us this morning. So a couple of Vern and Sean, if you guys would pray.
1: Great. Father God, we know that you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And we know that you're up to big things. And we, we love you. You're a great, great God. And um, you are over your people. And at Southbridge, we are part of your people. Uh, Lord, we um, desperately want to follow you and where you're leading and where you're going. Father, we just pray that um, you would... Uh, continue to give knowledge and wisdom on how to do that. As we uh, look at this property and what you have before us, Lord, the opportunities, just make it abundantly clear, God, where we're going and uh, how you want to use us. Father, we just pray for open minds, open hearts, open ears, Lord, that um, your word would be preached. And Father, that uh, you would use this church, Southbridge, to bring glory to your name here and wherever it may be father that um we would continue to gain worshipers for you uh not worshipers of ourselves lord um, but just continue to do what you do you show up you amaze us help us to remember and have faith in that lord jesus thank you for this honor and this privilege to come before you lord i just ask for your presence and clarity and you, you go before us and you make a way. I pray you show us what that way is. I pray for clarity in the elders and the church leaders, Lord, that you'll speak exactly what the next step is, Lord, that there's no confusion or there's nothing but your way set before them. And I just pray for confirmation among everybody that they can come to a complete agreement on what the next step is for this church, Lord. And I just thank you for this church and what it means to me and my family and, and the lives that are changed through this, Lord. I pray you just magnify it through this decision-making process. In your name, amen.
0: Well, it's been uh, an exciting journey <clears throat> these last uh, six or seven years. I was thinking about it yesterday. I was getting ready with uh, the message and thinking about one of the first outreach events we ever did. We rented this movie theater, uh, Theater 9 here, and it was before we were meeting here as a church and had people just invite folks, had 14 people trust Christ as their Savior. And so it was a great start to our church. And then thinking about what I announced to you last week, that at our Christmas Eve service, we had 22 people trust Christ as their Savior. And then had 148 kids sponsored through the Compassion International stuff. I didn't even get to tell you some of the stories. Uh, I'll tell you a couple of them today. One of them is that on that Compassion Sunday, we had three first-time guests sponsor children, <laughs> which I thought was cool. We have a hard time getting people to fill out the card that they were a guest. And they're out there sponsoring a child and filling out that card. So God's moving. God was out at work and doing some of those things. And every once in a while it's good just to step back and reflect on what are you what are you doing god and i was thinking about yesterday how last year as a staff we have about nine people on our staff at the time we went through a book called church unique and one of the things you're doing through the book is uh, just asking what's unique about what god's doing at our church and we talk about as a church we want to connect people to jesus for life change how do you know if that's happening because it's easy to measure some stuff in church world if i can just be candid with you butts and seats and dollars and buckets those are easy to measure how big is how many people showed up for the thing, and uh, how much how much money do they give in the process? But you know, if we say that our mission is connecting people to Jesus for life change, then that doesn't really tell us whether that's happening. Uh, what we want to know is, you know, how many how many husbands decided they're going to start leading in their home? How do you measure that? And you know how many how many wives decided they're going to start discipling their kids? You know how many single women decided they were going to embrace their identity in Christ is going to change everything. How many men are going to decide they're going to stop looking at porn and start looking at Jesus for delight? You know you see these things that are that's life change. The stuff that I'm mentioning. And, and so how do you measure that? I remember we were talking about it. Uh, as a staff, and as we were chatting through some of these things, what are the themes that we see God doing? We started asking people come back from their community group. Here's a word that I think is a theme, and they say these different things, and you know, we get our Renewable Church membership. We see surveys and things people say. One of the themes is freedom, and that God brings people to new places of freedom where they're able to fully surrender to Him, where they're able to actually follow Him because they've taken off the shackles of pain from the past, uh, addiction, sometimes straight-up bondage, you know, substance abuse, things along those lines. Uh, Sometimes it's getting past religion and actually seeing Christ for who He is. But we've seen this theme of freedom. And as I was thinking about it yesterday, I feel like our church has been especially equipped to help people with this. And some of the leaders that popped in my head are Jim and Kathleen Hendren. They lead our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, helps people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It meets on Thursday nights. And I remember the first Sunday that they came to Southbridge... It didn't go well. I'll just, I'll just say that. A uh, movie came on in the midst of the message, and uh, some of the few of you that were perhaps here maybe remember that. I remember the, that Sunday afterwards going, that that wasn't good. And that was their, their first experience here. I later talked to them. And they said, after we came that Sunday, we, we, we thought, that's the church for us. And God's just at work, and God does that kind of thing. And now, the reason why I think of them when I think about the theme of freedom is because Jim's been in bondage to basically everything you can imagine. Uh, When he tells his story, he'll tell you about keeping a journal of lies because he lied about so much stuff, he couldn't even remember all the stuff he lied about. So when he talked to somebody, he had to go back and read his journal to find out what lies he had told them. Because he was in bondage to cocaine, pornography, adultery, had done all kinds of stuff, and God set him free. Now he leads our Celebrity Recovery Ministry, which as I look at our church, I think, there's a part of that theme of what God's doing. And here we are, we live in this country, the land of the free, right? The home of the brave. It almost seems like, of course, everybody that's a follower of Christ should be free then. But that's not true, and it's because there's so many things that can hold us in bondage. I made a list of, of some of those things just to get you thinking about them uh, today, and you can think about other ones, I'm sure, that aren't on my list, but here's, here's a few. Substance abuse, let's kind of start with some obvious ones. Substance abuse, enemy drugs, cocaine, marijuana, heroin, uh, prescription drug use, probably popular among some people, and they justify those not like real drugs. I mean, my name's on the bottle. I got it on the Internet, but holds us in bondage, kind of white-collar drugs there, right? Alcohol could obviously be on the list. How about this? Self injury It's a big one uh, with, in a younger generation from some of you. Gambling. Some people, it's just a hobby, and you start to look back and realize how much you actually do. It's kind of like drinking. People have drinking problems. I don't drink. I just drink on flights, and when I'm talking to other humans, and like when I'm breathing, I don't drink all the time. You start to reflect on it, and you realize, well, oh, I drink a lot more than I realize. Sexual addiction, porn, stats I've shared with you before, they're ridiculous, illicit relationships, affairs, sexual secrets um, from the past. All things that hinder us from experiencing freedom. What are some other ones? Food issues, I wrote down. Obviously, you can hit anorexia, bulimia, eating disorders, but how about all the people that use food as a coping mechanism? How many times do we go to, when we're in stressful situations, it's like, it not, maybe one would say it's an escape, but it's, that's how we deal with our stress. We go, we're worshiping it. Approval of other people. We we'll talk about that periodically here. Uh, we've heard some folks in our church that have admitted, I live my life for the approval of others. And that might be approval of dad, might be the approval of a spouse, some of you, the way you're wired, is that if you had a 1,000 friends and 999 of them liked you, you'd live your whole life trying to get the one. That's bondage. Fear, I talked about that last week a little bit. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of other people's opinions, fear of worst-case scenario, fear that you might not get approval. It's endless pursuits, pursuits of happiness, pursuits of more, how much? Just a little bit more. Power, fame, success, attainments, accomplishments, money. We see that specifically pointed out in Scripture. You can't have two masters, and money is mentioned, but you could insert any of the other things, too. Comfort is a a hindrance to our following Christ and being free, that we want comfort more than we really want to follow him. Safety, secrets, people in prisons of secrecy. We've seen people released from that. Things they thought they could never tell. Abortions, rape, affairs, people trapped in abusive relationships. Pride holds many people in bondage. Success can be the very thing that holds us in bondage because we're trapped in that need for more and more success. And the list goes on. You could probably come up with more. That's why so many of us aren't free, though. There's so many things that can hinder us in our relationship with Christ. And so I want to ask you this simple question. Are you free? Are you free? If not, what is it that's hindering you? from completely and totally following Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today as we talk about unhindered from Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, we're picking up where we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, you can run over and grab one even while I'm talking um, off the table over there or the response table outside the door. Um, Acts chapter 16, we'll start reading in verse 16. We left off in verse 15 last week. Last week I asked you the question, what new thing does God want to do in your life? Because you can be confident that God wants to do something in your life. If you're here on earth and Jesus hasn't returned, last time I checked, he had not returned, then God's still doing work. And if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, let me just stop and say that's what God wants to do in your life today. Some of you have been coming to church for the last couple of weeks or whatever it is, maybe since the new year. And uh, you're wondering, what is God doing? Why is he bringing me to this place? Let me tell you. I'll tell you God's plan for your life. The scripture says it. That he wants you to trust him. He's been waiting for you. He's impatient for you. He's not willing that any would perish. That's why his son hasn't come back, because he wants you to trust Jesus Christ. Others of you trust Jesus, and what can be the possibility is that we trust Jesus and think, well, I got that taken care of. Now I'm going to live my life. No, he's not done with you. That's the beginning. And so like we talked about last week, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's continuing to do new things. And we saw that last week with Lydia. He's he's doing new things. He did it in Paul's life by telling him no. Sometimes he uses the no's. He did it in Lydia's life by bringing all kinds of new stuff as she continued to take steps of faith. And then today he's doing it through a woman. He's going to set free. In verse 16, we pick up where we left off last week. Once when we, we being Paul, Luke, the guy who writes the book of Acts, his friend Timothy, we talked about back before Christmas, and a guy named Silas who replaces Barnabas he had an argument with. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, that's the synagogue, the outdoor synagogue, no building, weren't enough men there to have a building. Verse 13, same place of prayer where he met the girl last week, Lydia, a woman of high social standing. This week he meets a new girl. Look at it. We We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners, or you could say masters, by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, that whole team of people I mentioned, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling the way to be saved, to be rescued, to be delivered, if anyone needed it, ironically. her. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so troubled, or it could be translated annoyed, that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And so here you see this woman set free. That's how God changed her life. He releases her in this moment from the bondage that she's in. Her masters, eventually, she can't make money for them anymore, are going to go away. The spirit that was holding her, the very thing, that the reason why they were attracted to her, uh, is gone. She's been released from that. He changed her life. Talked about last week, and you even saw it in the video that we watched today. Many times scholars debate about what was it that made Christianity so world-changing, in that first century, and certainly it had something to do with timing, and certainly had something to do with the people and how authentic they were, certainly had something to do with the tra- tragedy and the travesties that took place, or the plagues and the illnesses and the way the Christians responded, and certainly had something to do with all of those things, the political environment and all those factors, but what we see when we go through the book of Acts is the one thing that God uses, is He changes somebody's life he turns that individual's life upside down, then uses them, as Acts 1-8 says, to be his witnesses, to then turn the world upside down. Here he turns this woman's world upside down by sending her free. And that's what he needs to do in the lives of some of us, is to release us, to set us free. Let me tell you how we're defining freedom today. Freedom is this, it's the ability to fully follow God. It's an unhindered ability to fully follow Christ. If I were going to use the word free in defining freedom, I'd say that biblical freedom, true freedom, is to be free to fully follow Christ. And what we see in the scriptures is that he keeps removing stuff from people, whether it's the woman who's caught in adultery, go, stop sinning. Now you're free to fully follow me. Or you see other people in scripture, he says, No, listen, here's the problem. You're too committed to your stuff, rich young ruler. You need to be freed from that in order to be able to fully follow him. And you're continually releasing people from bondage because God desires that his followers would be free. And that's our foundational point today, our big idea. Is that God desires true freedom for his followers? And here's why. Because true freedom is to be able to fully follow him. That's what he wants for us. We see it all throughout the scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Then don't go back to a yoke of slavery. You begin a relationship with Christ, it begins by faith, and so now you're back, you're restored, you're reconciled, you've been redeemed, you're in the exact situation that he wants you in, and then many of us we go back. We trust in the works of Christ for salvation, now it's our works for the way that we live. Back to religion, back to legalism, back to bondage, back to many of the bad habits we had before we trusted Christ. It can happen for believers, but it wasn't intended to be that way. You can go through the whole Bible. Go to the book of Genesis, the very beginning, the book of beginnings. And you see in the beginning with the first man and the first woman in the garden, God created them totally free. They were naked. They felt no shame. That's freedom. They were in perfect harmony with one another. That's freedom. They were in a relationship with him. It was perfect intimacy. And that was freedom. But Eve fell for the definition of freedom that some of us fall for. You do what you want. You do what you want. That's freedom. Do you know what that leads to? That leads to bondage. That's what we see happen. She believes a lie. She goes after the pleasure apart from God, displeasing to him, and introduce shame, bondage, guilt, bondage, sin, bondage. She's no longer free. And then follow the theme, the story through the, the entire Bible, and what you see is that God brings a message of freedom. He comes to a guy named Abraham who lives in an idolatrous culture, sets him free to become the father of our faith, And then he lives in freedom and then makes bad decisions into his own bondage. Lies. And then God sets him free, turns back to him, and then makes bad decisions back into bondage. You look at a guy named Joseph. Joseph set free from prison. The ultimate picture of freedom in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus. God's people, the Israelites, have been in bondage for 400 years to the Egyptians. And God says, I've seen their misery, I've heard their cry, I'm going to use you, Moses, to set them free. God wants freedom for his people. But you, what you see is the theme, then you read the whole Old Testament, is that he says to them, book of Deuteronomy, if you follow me, you'll have freedom. If you don't, there will be bondage. And so what happens? Oh, that sounds good. We're going to follow you with all of our hearts. And then they don't. And it leads to bondage. And then they repent. And God brings them back to freedom. And you see it through the exiles so he says hey listen you know how this makes me feel this is what god says in the old testament you go into these other things for comfort you go into these other false gods you go into the creation rather than the creator it feels like a husband whose wife's cheating on him it's adultery and eventually he says here's the deal you're going to be put into bondage you want your bondage i'm going to put you into your bondage exile they repent they turn back all right back into freedom and then they do it again And then we're talking about hundreds of years here. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus preaches a sermon. The first sermon he preaches in his hometown synagogue. You know what he says? You know what his first words are in his public ministry? The guy who writes the book of Acts, Luke, records it in the gospel of Luke in chapter 4 in verse 18. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus speaking, because he has anointed me. Here's for what? To preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed, the captives, to set the captives free. Interesting thing if you follow Jesus' ministry, read every line of every gospel, and never does he break a prison. Never does he go and open the bars of a jail. So, what does he mean? Set the prisoners free, free from sin. Free from bondage, free from the things that hinder us from fully following him. It's the very thing he does with this woman in this passage of scripture. Go back up to verse 16 and see what he does. These guys, they're on their way to this place of prayer, the synagogue. They come in, they have a weird encounter, okay? Sometimes we read the Bible and think to ourselves, this isn't, you know, people were doing this kind of thing all the time then. Now, this is strange. When I read this, I automatically thought to myself about my own weird life. Okay, so I don't know if you've had encounters like this with people before, but this woman, she can see stuff no one else sees. Do you have a conversation with anybody ever that tells you, I just see things no one else sees? Do you think to your, maybe I'm the only one who thinks it? I think, that's weird. (laughs) I thought of a time when my wife and I, we were on a plane, and we were traveling, we were on one of those planes that has three seats, so there's only two of us together. And So we had a middle seat and a window seat. My wife was very gracious. She said, I'll take the, the middle seat. And then there was an aisle seat. And so we sit down. We start talking to this guy that's sitting in the aisle seat. We end up telling him we're Christians. He says, oh, I know you're Christians. I could tell when you got on the plane because I can see spirits. I thought, this is going to get weird fast. And he says, I saw light when you came on. Then he starts telling us about all the other stuff he sees and all the other stuff he's seen in different places. I leaned over to Shanna and said, you got this one. Pulled into the window. (laughs) Was not a highlight of my leadership in our relationship. But it was good for her, you know, to get that experience. And that's what I justified it as. And so there's this woman following Paul and Luke and these other guys around. And she can see stuff nobody else sees. That's weird. And it says here in the text that she's a slave girl. That means she works for someone else. She's got some masters. But here's why. Because she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She's a fortune teller. Uh, The literal translation in this passage is that she had a a Pythian spirit, a spirit of Python. It came from a Greek mythology, a made-up story about a god named Apollo, and that he had a snake outside of his palace. He kills it. Long story short is that people thought if you heard from spirits like this, you were hearing from the spirit of Python. And this spirit of Python was given her an ability to see things in the future no one else could see. This was a huge money-making industry in this time. If you were a soldier, a commander in an army, and you were going to take your guys out into battle, you wouldn't dream of going to battle without going to see a girl like this. If you were an emperor, a king, a leader of some group of people, you would not issue a decree for those people without going to see a woman like this. And so she's a gold mine for these people. It says here that she's a, a fortune teller. Some of us get in our minds, you know, 1-800 numbers and, and stuff late at night, and some of that stuff is just a con. You know, some of those people are just making stuff up. I see a special day coming in your future. Oh, well, my birthday's tomorrow. That's the day that I see. You know, and your wife heard your wife's name with an M in it. My wife's name is Shanna. Miss Shanna. I see her. That's right. And you, see, you can sniff this stuff out. They say it's so vague and so general. It could apply to anybody at any moment. But there's some. There are some that have a supernatural power. It's not from God. It's satanic. That's what this woman has. She's not just a scammer. She's got a demonic influence in her life. She can see the future. And she can see things that no one else sees. And this girl starts following Paul around. And the other guys that are there too. Luke refers to himself as the rest of us. And she's shouting. She's not just saying. She's shouting. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. That sounds like a good message. Like she's like, PR campaign, following them around. These guys are servants of the most high God. That's biblical language. You find it in Daniel. You find it in the Psalms who are telling the way to be saved, to be rescued, to be delivered. How awesome is that? And she kept doing this for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled, irked is what that means. Burdened, bothered, annoyed by someone or something, the way that it's used. And here he's annoyed at her. Maybe it's because of what verse 18 said. She kept on saying this. Look at what it says. For many days. How do you listen to the same thing over and over again for many days? Anytime there's repetition, that can be annoying. Amen? 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 No, just kidding. I think about it in my home. I told my wife uh, the other day, I was getting ready in the morning and I was telling her about the girls and what they had done the day before and how I was getting irritated. And I said, it wasn't any one of them. It was that one would speak, then the other one would speak, then the other one was, we have four kids. And so just they speak in a row. It just feels like you just keep the bullets coming at you. you know, it just pushes me to my limit. I said, it was just too much. You want something repeated, have them say something good, like a joke. And if you have little kids, they tell a funny joke at the dinner table. If you laugh at it, do you know how many times you're going to hear that joke? And so sometimes my wife will laugh at of a joke. And then it's like the second time, it's like, oh okay. Third time, that's not funny anymore. Cut that out. Fourth time, fifth time. Sixth time, I'm like, cut it out with your fun. <laughs> like, stop all this. Having fun stuff, you're irritating me. And here you look at what this woman's saying. Servants of the Most High God, that's true. Preaching a message of salvation, it's true. But Paul gets mad. What's wrong with Paul? I'm getting irritated at truth. Some people say the reason why Paul's irritated here could have just been because of the repetition. But it might be because the message is so vague and so general that it could be twisted, and that's what Satan oftentimes does. They're saying servants of the most high God. To Gentile ears, they're in Philippi, a place that was very few Jews. That's why they weren't able to have a synagogue here. Uh, this is primarily Gentile place. To say that is like saying it's the supreme God of your own choosing, which is true-ish. And say it's not really, there's no, there's no definite article here. There's no the word there. It's like they, they, they don't even have that. And so what they're saying is uh, servants of uh, the most high God preaching a way of salvation could be what's being said here. It's one of the ways. They think it's the best way. They think their God is the supreme God. It's such a vague and general terminology that while it's true, it leaves so much room for error. Perhaps Paul's upset because he knows that the gospel is going to get twisted in this. It's like, it's like if I said to you, uh, the church and Christianity and gospel, of God, it's, it's a message of love. That's true. It's not complete, but it's true. It's a message of forgiveness. see so you see this, we see the media do this. you've probably had friends do this to you before. If, you, if the church reaches a message of love, why, are they, why do they hate gay people? Have you heard that. If you love, why do you love, you love all people except for the gay people? And so you take an agenda that's politically driven, has a lot of money behind it, it's diametrically opposed to the gospel, then we'll take the gospel and twist the small portions of it to make it say what they want it to say. Well, you forgive, but you just don't forgive me. You, I mean, you'll forgive people that steal money at your church. You just won't forgive people that sleep with somebody of the same sex. You, you'll forgive people that do, and you fill in the blank with all the other sins, so gluttony and laziness and all the different stuff, but you won't forgive this. What you've missed is the the full part of the message. It's a message of love, that God loves you so much he had to deal with your sin. And that forgiveness is granted to all that repent. And so you take away sin, and you take away repentance, and you take away all the power of the gospel. I mean, it's still vaguely true stuff. And Paul's hearing this vaguely true message. Yeah, we serve, we believe he's the most high God, because there is no other God. They're all false gods. You forgot to mention that part in your message, woman who serves all kinds of gods and is demonically possessed. We believe, yeah, we do preach the way of salvation, but you're saying a option is one of option, of many options. That's just not true. So Paul's irritated. He's angry. He's pushed to his limit. I don't know how he lasted for many days. Verse 18, after many days, he turns to her. He's troubled. And he rebukes, not her, the spirit. Look at what he says in verse 18. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, she was free. The spirit left her. She's released. At that moment, life change happens. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom you've been set free. Don't go back. What's interesting about this passage, we don't know what she did at this moment. We'd like to think that she turned in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who actually gave her the freedom. But we know we see it in the gospel. Some people will be released and they go back and it's worse than it was before. We don't know. Maybe Luke leaves it open so that you and I can decide what we do. And it's easy to say, well, I don't have a, I'm not like this. I can't identify this woman. I'm a demon possessed. What about all the stuff that hinders us? What about all the stuff that holds us in bondage? What about when we turn to worship creation rather than the creator? What about money controlling our lives? Other people's opinions controlling our lives? Other stuff that has us. And God sets you free from that. He says to the, the Pharisees, the Jews and John chapter 8, when Jesus is speaking, he talks about freedom. He says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. If you follow me, you obey me, then that's how people know. And then he talks about this, then you will know the truth. Guess what? The truth will set you free. Stop believing the lies, those small twists of the truth that lead us down a path of destruction. See, real freedom is when we're free to fully follow Christ. But many of us buy the lie that we think freedom is, we call the own shots in our lives saw an illustration of this recently. I watched a movie called Frozen, Disney movie. Went and watched it with my kids. Um, Took them, sat them down afterwards, was telling them the biblical themes that we saw in the movie. And the next day, uh, one of my daughters, our six-year-old daughter, is talking to one of the neighbor kids is over at our house. I hear her tell the neighbor kid, Disney teaches the Bible. I was like, no, Disney, that's not, that is not what I'm saying right now, and that's not what I was saying then. But there are biblical themes you can see some of these movies, because you're going to tell a good story. You've got to rip off the story, okay? And you can start seeing this in other movies, too. There's got to be a messianic, a heroic figure, and oftentimes you'll see themes of resurrection. You think they're gone, they're back, and so you see these things. And so we're talking about some of those things from this movie. One of the themes I saw and there was the false picture of freedom. The way the story goes, those of you who don't know, I'll tell you some of it. I'll tell you when the spoiler alert comes in my telling you this. But uh, there's two sisters. Um, they're princesses, and one of them has special powers. She has the ability to freeze things, hence the name Frozen. It's going to be probably a really good musical when it comes out, too. They sing songs all throughout this movie. And this girl um, realizes that her powers could potentially hurt someone. And so she lives in bondage to fear. She's afraid of what she might do and hurting other people and she sees how that's potentially possible early on in the movie and then her with the help of her dad she starts to learn how to hide that stuff and so she tries to hide her powers and you hear her continually singing a song that says conceal don't feel don't let them in don't let them know some of you can identify with that don't let them if they just if they knew so i just keep this i let them see this and that's where she lived and there's She doesn't even be the good girl she's supposed to be and all those things. So there's a point in the movie, spoiler alert, plug your ears if you don't want to hear this part, point in the movie, she lets it out, starts to express her powers and she even flaunts them and almost taunts others with her power, showing that now I have freedom. Now, any of you who've grown up in a background that's highly religious and lots of rules and you've seen people realize that they've got some freedoms, you've seen people do this before. And what ends up happening is that she flaunts her stuff and you find, you realize if you just pay attention to what's happening. She's not any more free than she was before. She's in bondage still. It ends up leading her to isolation. She's all on her own. She doesn't know real freedom at that point in the movie. You have to watch the whole thing to find out what happens. Because at that point, she's just doing what she wants to do. She's still trapped by her own decisions. Here's the thing. Just like Eve in the garden, it's a 100% case study. Every human ever does what they want to do. We all do it. It's called sin. And it always leads to bondage. We've all experienced it. And we're arrogant enough, trapped by our pride, arrogant enough to think, but it's different for me because I'll make good decisions. 100% case study. when we do what we want, it leads us to bondage. Here's the fault, here's a myth that's out there, is that if you have a master, then you're in bondage. That's not true. Everybody has a master. You can't have more than one, the Bible tells us, but we all have one. There's one that leads us to Freedom. It's when we're a slave to righteousness, Romans chapter 6. You can study that on your own. It's when the one who created you, who designed you, who knows how you're supposed to function, and if you'd follow what he would say, then it would lead you to ultimate freedom. And real freedom is following him, completely following him, fully surrendered to him. We see it throughout the scriptures. You see what Jesus says to people. Luke chapter 9 is a good study on your own. If you're taking notes, you write that down. Go read Luke chapter 9. Around verse 59, there's a story about people coming to follow him. And he comes into contact with three different people. First person comes to him and says, I want to follow you. Jesus knows our hearts. He says to the man, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. What he's dealing with here is that this guy has a comfort issue. You're not really willing to follow me. You want to follow me if there's benefits and blessings from this in the way you see that. You don't want to follow me if it's going to cost you your home, if it's going to cost you your comforts. He goes to the next guy and says, you come follow me. The first guy initiated it with Jesus. The second guy, he says, you come follow me. The guy says, okay. Let me go first. Go bury my father. His dad wasn't even dead. Most commentators believe what he's saying is, "I want to go get my inheritance first. Let me accomplish my goals first. Let me do what I want to do, and then at this point in life, then I'll come and be with you, Jesus." Jesus is pointing out to him, "You're not ready. You're in bondage. You're hindered." Third person, he says, "You can follow me." He says, "I'll come follow you. I'm going to say goodbye to my family." He Says, "No, listen. I want. You. I, I need to be your focus. I need to be your delight." The satisfaction is not going to come from any of these other things. Those are byproducts of you delighting in me. See, the problem is for most of us is that we think that in order to have true enjoyment in life, to have true pleasure in life, this is going to have to come apart from what God says because he's taking away all the good stuff. And so we've got to find, you know, if we want real entertainment, it's got to be crass. If we want real, you know, pleasure, it's going to have to be in some sexual experience. It's going to have to be outside of God's plan for those kinds of things. There's going to be, and and we don't like to say this. this That's how we function. This is what John Piper says about sin. I'll give you a quote. Sin's not something we have to do. Sin's, not, sin's something we choose to do because it holds out a promise for us. He says this, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty because you have to. We sin because it holds out a promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us, bondage, until we believe God is to be more desired than life itself. And so he says things like this throughout scripture. If you want someone else than Piper saying it, oh, like God himself, delight yourself in me. I'll give the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, 4. Find your delight in me. I'll give you the things that, in your life that you ultimately want. See, we think we want the new car. We think we want a spouse. We think we want to have a child. We want these different desires that are in our lives. You know what we really want is what we think that's going to deliver. It's not the car that we want. It's what we think that car is going to do to us and for us. And God's saying, I'll give you a car. He's saying, I'll meet that very desire that you're longing for. When you delight yourself in me. Because I'm the only place you're going to find that. And so what we have to do is free you of the things that are hindering you from fully following me and finding your delight in me. What are the things that people want? We want satisfaction. We want joy. We want to be loved. What does Galatians chapter 5 tell us? fruit of the Spirit. It says what the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's all the stuff we're looking for. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And continue to read on. Verse 23 24, verse 24 says this that you've crucified the flesh and those old desires. You got new desires. Because you realize where the satisfaction comes from. It comes from Him. So many times we think, and this is the lie, continually lies that destroy our lives, slight twistings of the truth, that in order to experience true pleasure, it's got to be apart from God. And it starts small usually. It starts small. I wrote a story this week about a guy named Mike Cleveland. Uh, started a ministry called setting captives free as a pilot and uh, he said in, in a layover one time he just saw this box on top of the tv turned down the tv saw some stuff he wasn't supposed to be looking at and it felt good and it took him down a path of destruction ruined his marriage all kinds of bad decisions without getting into the illicit details of that but it just started this with a look classic example David and Bathsheba he didn't mess. David's out. He's supposed to be fighting with the other kings. It's spring. He's supposed to be out at war. Is what the scriptures tell us. He's at home. He's got all kinds of stuff. He's got everything you could imagine. He sees something he doesn't have. Someone else's wife thinks she's hot. Says to his wingman, "Hey, wingman, go find out about her." Guy goes out, to find out about her, comes back says she's married. I just want to talk to her. Bring bring her here. As he started with, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing in the first place. And then goes to a glance. And we know he doesn't want to just talk. Isn't that how it goes? We don't know what he justifies in his mind, so I'm making some of that up. But we're just talking. I mean, besides, I mean, her husband's obviously not meeting her needs, and here I am. I'm I'm all alone. God's ordained this thing that I'd be here now, and that this would happen. And so, I mean, who don't deny love? And we know what happens. He gets her pregnant. The lives are destroyed, and it's a lie upon lie upon lie, and it all just started with a glance seeking pleasure. It's the same thing that Eve did in the garden. I, if I really want enjoyment, it's going to have to be apart from your plan, God. And we all do it. And then we're trapped. But God brings freedom. And that Mike Cleveland, that guy that I mentioned, God set him free. David, read Psalm 32, Psalm 51. He restores the joy of his salvation. God sets him free. And this woman in this passage of Scripture, verse 18, she set free. And how she set free, it says in verse 18... Not that Paul did something here. It wasn't a seance he set over her. It wasn't something magical. Look at what it says. In the name of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus that sets us free. It's where we find freedom is Him. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except for through him. There's no one that's going to find their delight apart from him because the Father's the one that real delights found in. See, we think that our sinful desires are so strong. Our desires are weak because we settle for creation when we can have the creator. It's Jesus Christ. And it's not just saying his name. Isn't the key. It's not like you just say his name and all of a sudden addictions are gone and say his name and, and, and these things happen. His name's not some magical formula. It's the person behind the name. If you think his name is a magical formula, we're going to get to a story in Acts chapter 19. It's kind of funny. Um, but it's also ridiculous. People just saying his name, thinking stuff's going to happen. They get beat down, their tor- clothes torn off of them. It's it's bad news. It's not about just knowing the name Jesus. It's about knowing the person behind the name, which Paul's connected to because of his trust relationship with him. It's transformed his life. And then what we see Paul is Paul's that Paul then lives in freedom. He doesn't care what happens to him. He's not thinking about himself. Paul's the guy who writes in Philippians chapter two, that your and my attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who in being in very nature, God, <laughs> Think of the video we watched, became flesh and became obedient to the Father. If anybody experienced freedom in the Bible, isn't it Jesus? I mean, the dude said stuff nobody else would say. You whitewashed tombs, vipers. You want to say that to people sometimes. Jesus says it. Freedom. He does stuff no one else would do. But did you know that Jesus never does anything that the Father doesn't tell him to do? Jesus only does what the Father says, and that's freedom. Slave to righteousness, real freedom. That the creator is your master, real freedom. That you're free to fully follow him. That's real freedom. It's not that you do whatever you want. It's you do what he wants. Because he designed you, he made you, he's got the perfect plan for you. And it's when we veer off path of thinking that's true that we get ourselves in trouble. But he brings freedom, he brings it back. How do you know if you have freedom? You know if you have freedom because you're connected with the name. There's power in that name. It's the person behind the name that ultimately brings the power. Remember what he says in the Great Commission? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus. It's in his name. He'll be with you, but it's him that has the power. He's the one who has the power. It's not you. It's him that has the power. And he allows you to experience that power because he puts the spirit in you and does work through you. And power comes from that name. There's no other name on heaven, on, on earth, under heaven, by which men shall be saved but the name Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow with the name of Jesus Christ. Here's a verse that we don't read very often, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4. For those of you who don't know the Bible as a whole, in the end, Jesus is the victor. He wins. That's the team you want to be on. If you're on that team, this is what Revelation chapter 22 verse 4 says. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Just before that, no more curse. No more bondage. All that stuff's taken care of. And you're going to be with him. You know what you're going to do for him? You're going to serve him your whole life and for all of eternity. Do you want to know whether you're free? Are you free to serve? Do you serve others without thinking about yourself? That's humility. Do you serve others? Your attitude is the same as that of Christ Jesus without thinking about what you're getting out of this deal or how they're perceiving you or what it's going to do for you because you're using it as a coping mechanism. Right? Can you freely serve? That's really the test. You see Jesus do it. John chapter 13. The passage scripture: Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and, and there's 13 guys in a room together. None of them are washing each other's feet, which is customary at this point. But Jesus gets up. Each one of these guys has a story. Each one of them has a reason why they're not doing it. Somebody else will think, and if, if anybody should be washing the feet, pride, uh, they should do it, the approval of other people, all kinds of stories there. Jesus is free from all that stuff. So Jesus does. He takes his clothes off, gets down on his knees, and starts washing the feet of the disciples. No one washes Jesus' feet. He's not complaining about that. He's free. Are you free? It's for freedom you've been set free. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. What you had at the point of salvation is what he wants you to experience throughout your Christian life. And the new thing he might want to do in your life today is give you freedom. Let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone that's here today and, and the moments that we have together still. If you haven't already, would you reveal to our hearts the things that hinder us from being free? Whether it's pride, whether it's comfort, whether it's money, whether it's something obvious like a substance, would you bring freedom today? Would you bring deliverance today? Would you have us call upon the name of your son, Jesus Christ, not in a magical formulaic type of way, but because we want the person. We want you. We want to find delight in you. And God, will you turn us to you? Will you turn our hearts to you? Will you deliver for freedom's sake? Will you give us true freedom, being free to fully follow you? Will you remove? Will you strip away the bondage? Will you allow people that are in a prison of secrecy right now to step out of that, not to flaunt their stuff, but to be fully known and to be fully accepted by you. To be fully known and to be fully accepted by those that are around them. God, will you please bring freedom? As for freedom we've been set free, do not allow us to move back to a yoke of slavery. Remove us from the bondage of comfort. Remove us from the bondage of our, our things that we have here that hold us, the things, the sins that so easily entangle and allow us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, your son, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, the joy of fulfilling your will and the joy of knowing us, endured the cross, the ultimate act of service. And Father God, help us to be fully submitted to you and to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.